grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the text is from the Old Testament as well as the Gospel. You may be seated. When I was a young boy, or I should really say it's the same for you, when you were a young boy or a young girl, you and I were all carefree for the most part, unaware of all the things that we could be concerned about but had no clue about, and thank God we didn't. Because all of our needs and wants were extremely basic and fulfilled in a very simplistic way in the family in which we grew up. But because of this limited amount of life upon which to reflect, our perspective was somewhat stunted, meaning we were wonderfully and blissfully ignorant because of our youth. And remember, ignorant means uninformed, as Paul mentioned in the epistle reading. But then, ah, then you and I grew up. The very thing we had been looking forward to, striving toward, because we wanted and waited to be filled with more knowledge, more wisdom, more experience. Now that we're on the other side of that, we're very aware about all of those things to be concerned. Sometimes more than we should, but we're very aware of them, are we not? And we've convinced ourselves that these are the things that we have need of, and these are the things that we want, and we think that we can keep the two separate And we consider ourselves extremely capable and extremely gifted to reflect upon our existence because we have life now to do so. No longer youthfully ignorant. In fact, we consider ourselves enlightened compared to youth. As the youngest of four kids, trust me, I heard it always, oh, you're the littlest, you don't understand. And yet, you and I are supposed to become more like children. Not childish, but more like children, childlike. Enter our dear prophet Elijah, one of the great ones. In fact, the poster child of prophecy and being a prophet in a world that despised what came out of his mouth. And I'm sure he went to bed many times thinking, are you sure you want me to say that? Because if I say that, that's going to torque some people's noses. Now, the text that we have this morning is after the fact. So we've got to kind of keep things in context to understand how this text came upon Elijah's ears. Prior to this text, Elijah had been used by God. This was the whole Mount Carmel, sacrifice to Baal, 
Then the next to it was the sacrifice to the true God, and Elijah had all that water poured on it and, and soaked it up and made it so wet and unable to be lit up or consumed by fire. And he said, pray, pray to the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal prayed and nothing happened. And then he prayed and zap! One prayer, one shot, one kill, and that sacrifice was consumed. So he had known he was used by God. Then, then he gets the glory. This is glory. You may not think so, but by golly, he gets to be the very ender of these prophets of Baal's life. Finally, he gets to stick it to the man in killing every one of those prophets there with God's gift to do so. Now, at this point in his life, you and I can be very assured that he got it. I have been used by God. And you can be very sure that he could see what God had done through him. Look at what God had done. After such a monumental, literally, mountaintop experience, how could the words of a crotchety woman named Jezebel drive him to such fear and surrender? You don't have to look beyond your nose to see that in your life. For the times that God, you have seen God use you and you have been used by God and seen His hand and, and then the things that trip you and I up and that cause us to think, oh Lord, why do you even put up with me? I am no better than my fathers, as Elijah said. All it took was Jezebel's threat that what would happen to those prophets would happen to you. Who allowed him to kill all of those prophets? Who allowed him to witness the miracle at his hands? And now he shudders in terror at this woman Jezebel's threat. Well, let's look at the text because not only does Elijah shut down, Elijah pulls a Jonah and runs away runs away off into the wilderness, leaves the Mount Carmel, leaves the great victory feast that he got to witness and be a part of, and goes to Nowhereville. And as another author said, there's nothing more alone than a sinner alone with his sin. Elijah was struggling with himself. Elijah was fixated upon himself. Elijah was like you, a narcissist. Yes, that is what we all are by nature. Elijah is just showing us a picture of ourself because you and I have seen God work in our lives and then we have also seen ourselves shut down and run away, filled with fear, and you've got to think your Father in Heaven, as my Father in Heaven, looks upon us and thinks, did you miss something here? But of course, it was not a surprise. Who allowed Jezebel's threat to be given to Elijah? And who knew full well what would happen to Elijah upon the threat coming? 
So it is in your life. Who knew how you would accept that challenge or that difficulty but God who did it to you? And who better who did it to you to pull you back out of it but the same God who did it? So when Elijah shuts down and basically says, woe's me, the text preceding it, his quote says he went there to die, wanting to die, and he said, is enough, O Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. In other words, Lord, why do you put up with me and my fears? Why do you put up with me and my upness and my downness? Why do you put up with me being used by you as such a great tool and now being as useless You can fill in the blanks with that. Because Elijah had seen God's power and been very, very, very convinced of it. And now he completely denies God's power by his fears and shutting down. But God did a great work in Elijah's life. The work that God did in this point in Elijah's life is to get Elijah to be emptied of himself. Get over yourself, God is doing in Elijah's life. You know in your life when God has done that to you because it doesn't feel good. When God brings us to that precipice and says, get over it, it's not about you. It hurts deeply. And then our first response is a sinful response to shut down and close up and feel sorry for ourselves as Elijah did here kind of hard to use a blind donkey and God has to open up the donkey's eyes yours and mine and he does so because no sooner had Elijah shut down no sooner had he dealt with the fact that he is without anything within himself he is emptied I got nothing God did God say something to Elijah through the angel now you and I We would have lectured Elijah because, you know, we've got to impart our wisdom to someone else so that they have our wisdom. My goodness, they can't go to their grave without my wisdom. (laughs) He doesn't. His words to Elijah through the angel are just three words in the English. Arise and eat. Arise and eat. That's it. No lecture. No, don't you remember... Arise and eat. He falls back asleep again. He arises and eats again. He falls back asleep again and rises and eats again. And then it's the last thing that is said about Elijah when it is said, He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. The strength of that food. He did not go forward with a lecture in his ears. He did not go forward with anything else that you and I can point to other than that. He did what God gave him to do in obedient faith and ate and drank. Now we know as the story moves on, he gets disappointed again and God reminds him that there are several thousand that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Now go out and find them. That we know. But in the meantime, arise and eat. 
Enter our gospel reading, where in the midst of the Jews grumbling at Jesus, trying to grasp how flesh and blood can contain God in that flesh, enter the Jews who have been given the great gift of this prophecy that he would become one with the creature, avoid it when Jesus says, I'm the living bread from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now our hymn that we just got through hearing explains it in a very beautiful, systematic way, but it still is the same point. Take my word for it. Obey what I have given you. Don't try to understand. Receive as it was meant to be. Be childlike. That's the great gift. That last stanza of that hymn that we sang where it talks about for me that it would be all things for me while I'm living and when I die. What He does for me, what He gives to me. Not me reflecting upon my life. Not me reflecting upon how God used me. Not me reflecting upon anything other than what God has given to me. Then Jesus, in order to make sure these Jews that are grumbling, who are struggling, He does not cast them out. He does not give them the shaft. He keeps trying to draw them in, and He draws them in with words not of lecture, but of gospel. When He says, all that the Father gives me. In the midst of your self-depreciating moment going, how am I useful to God? Remember what Jesus says here, all that the Father gives me and He gave you to Him, your Jesus, in your baptism. When you were baptized into Jesus, you guys became one flesh. And that continues to be consummated at this altar with the flesh and blood of Christ. You became one with your God. All that the Father has given me, I will never cast out no matter how useless you may think you are and no matter how fear-stricken and fear-frozen you may be, I will not cast you out. In fact, get this, I'm not going to lose any of all that the Father has given me, but I'm going to do something to them on the last day. I'm going to raise them up, body and soul, going to raise them up. And he wants to make sure this is clear because he repeats it again. Everyone who looks to the Son in faith and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. He is not raising up a specter. He is raising up flesh and blood to be joined to that soul in perfection. Just as He was raised in flesh and blood, so He shall raise His children whom He will not cast out and whom He will not lose. This is our place to come and hide. This is where we run away from the world's problems. This is where we try to find perspective on what God has done in us, to us, and through us. Here. It doesn't make sense here. It never will make sense here because that's according to our reason. But it does feed your soul. Arise and eat. Here for you who run away from the world once a week to be fed, come and arise and eat and go in the strength of this food. 
not in the strength of your ability to convince yourselves or rationally try to understand the paradoxes in which you live, but this great proclamation in the strength of this food and my flesh is this food, Jesus says at the very end. The very flesh stung upon the cross and nailed upon the cross. Stung by God's wrath and consumed, nailed, never to come down until He chose to be raised. Here's where He gathers you. And He's been gathering you since you were a little lamb in your mama or daddy's lap. And no matter how loving and gracious your mama and daddy were, they were sinners. You inherited it from them and you're going to die just like them. As we mentioned in Bible class, Andy died. Andy died after every one of the words about who was related to whom. Andy died. And no matter how loving and gracious your parents may have been, you didn't get a better start than anybody who comes in off the street. You got the same grace. You got the same forgiveness. You got the same passion toward you given by God the Father to Him who called you to be His. And here's where He gathers you. Last week, you remember what the people said? Lord, give us this bread always. That's our prayer. Give us this bread, Lord, always, that we may come and hide here, if but for a brief time, to have our wounds bound up by you, to have our heart healed by you, to be comforted and embraced by your great grace and forgiveness so that we can go out in the strength of this food, your very flesh and blood. For what purpose? Just as Elijah was strengthened in that food, he wasn't let go by God so that he could enjoy bliss because he didn't take away Jezebel. No, Jezebel still was the pain in his rear for the rest of the life that she lived until God took her at his timing. So Elijah had to continually deal with his fears that welled up in him every time he thought about it. And you think Satan would have picked that scab? You bet he did. Just like he does to your scabs. Coming back to that same fear of yours and mine again. Whatever that may be, because all of us are different. But He desires to accomplish something in you and through you by the strength of this food as He did with Elijah. And Elijah didn't embrace that without fear. To think that is to be completely Pollyanna. Elijah was confident of what God had fed him and he had to keep going back to that for his comfort. God provided. God fed me and found me in my fear and in my shutting, being shut down. God found me and did nothing but feed me. Feed me when I couldn't feed myself. And God promised him he would raise him up at the last day. Well, Elijah got a little bonus that you and I don't get, and you know about that. But for the rest of us who don't get that same bonus, he will raise you again on that last day that we may rejoice in the one who feeds us himself. In the name of Jesus, the true bread of life, Amen.
the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.